What I'd like to talk to you about is the Good Samaritan. This is part of what's known as the travel narrative in Luke. It's a series of things that Yeshua does and says on his way to his crucifixion in Jerusalem. The structure of the thing is laid out in what's known as a chiasm, which is chevrons. And the Good Samaritan, which is the question of what shall I do to inherit eternal life, matches then with the young ruler who also asks the same question. And for anybody who wants it, I've got it all laid out on a spreadsheet. The things that he says as he goes down to Jerusalem, I'm going to suggest to you serve a couple of purposes, since the Messiah doesn't do anything that only serves one purpose. The first one is he gives you homiletic messages. In other words, each one of these stories, parables, vignettes that he says has got something that you can take to live by. That's what we would call homiletic. But the other thing that it does is they are eschatological, which is to say they talk about what's going to happen when he returns. And pretty much every one of them is like that. So, for example, you've got the uh, prodigal son that's going to be later on in the book of Luke. And it has a perfectly sound homiletic message about brothers living together and the love of a father and all those kinds of things. Wonderful message. But the other thing that it does is it talks about Ephraim and Judah, where Judah is the older brother and Ephraim has been lost for centuries. And when Ephraim finally comes back, what's the relationship going to be between those two brothers? So you have both a homiletic message in there, and you also have an eschatological message in there. And what I'm going to suggest to you is that the Good Samaritan is exactly the same thing. It's got both of those levels. Now, I have in the past spent an entire hour teaching on the Good Samaritan. I'm not going to do that today, but I will tell you that there's stuff in here that just goes very, very deep. So let's take a look at what's going on. It's a very tightly structured section of scripture. So you have two vignettes, what you call round one and round two. And this is with the lawyer. And the lawyer stands up and he asks a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And the questions there is do and life. And Yeshua answers What does the Torah say? How do you read it? Now, that tells us something. The question of the Messiah is, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Very straightforward question. And what the Messiah does is he points you back to the Torah and says, what does it say in there? Which tells me that the Torah has the information that you need to get eternal life. And the lawyer says, love God, love your neighbor. And the Messiah says, do this and you will live. Very straightforward conversation. There's not a lot of wiggle room. Now, most people, having gotten a nice, clear, crisp answer like that, would say, cool, I'm off. I'll go do that. But of course, a lawyer can't leave well enough alone. So he asks the next question, which is, 
who is my neighbor? Now, I find it interesting that he doesn't ask about how do I love God? That's not his question. His question is, okay, who's my neighbor? And, of course, what he's sort of expecting the answer to be is, well, your family, all of Israel, and sort of stop there. That's, I think, what he's expecting. Because if you read Ben Sirach, Ecclesiasticus, and by the way, that was a apocryphal book that would have been current at that time in Israel. There were a number of apocryphal books that were written about the time of the Messiah a couple centuries before. And Ben Sirach says, don't be good to your enemy unless you get healed and be stronger than you are and then come back and whack you. So that's sort of a theme, if you will, in in one of the apocryphal books of the Bible at that time. So I'm suggesting to you that what the lawyer is expecting is an answer something like that. And what Yeshua, of course, does is he doesn't answer the question directly. He did answer the question directly the first time. This time he doesn't. And instead he tells a parable. So, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. That's your setup. And I've said this before, those of you who have been here for a while have heard it several times. What Yeshua has set up is a generic human being. In most parts of the world, you can tell who somebody is by how he dresses. You've all seen the colorful ethnic costumes that they have all over the world. And so you can look at somebody in the way he dresses and you can tell where he's from. Even in so basic a thing as a business suit. The English cut business suits differently than the Europeans cut them, than the Americans cut them. So if you look at a business suit on a man, you can tell generally at least what continent he's from, probably what country he's from. And certainly that would have been the case in biblical times. So a Jew would, for example, have been wearing zizio. So you'd be able to tell who this guy is by how he's dressed. The second way you'd be able to tell who this guy is is by his accent. You know, when you all go to Oklahoma, you got to talk a little bit differently in order to get people to understand you. Because if you talk the way Yankees talk, you're going to be looking like a stranger. So if you listen to the guy speaking, you can tell where he's from. This guy's unconscious. He can't speak. And sort of as a last result, since he's laying there naked, you could at least be able to tell whether he was circumcised or not, right? So this is genealogy, by the way. Not only was he unconscious and naked, but he was laying face down. So you couldn't even tell whether he was circumcised or not. So what Yeshua has set up here is a generic human being. There's no way to tell if he is a friend, a member of your country, a member of your tribe, anything like that. The way he set the story up, that's the case. So then you have three people who come by. The way the language is, they come closer. So by chance, a priest was going down that road. When a priest was pulling his stint of duty in the temple, a lot of priests lived down in Jericho. Apparently that was where they lived. So the idea would have been that this priest was coming off of his stint of duty in the temple. He would have been ritually pure. 
And of course, if he comes in contact with a dead body, then he has to get repurified. So as he goes down the road, he sees this naked, unconscious guy and looks dead to me and keeps going. Now, the Levite comes closer. So the priest was going down the road. The Levite came to the place. That's a closer thing than the priest would have encountered. And the Levite doesn't have the same problems of ritual purity that a priest does. It certainly clean and unclean would apply to any Jew, but the requirements for a Levite are much less strict than for a priest. And he passed by. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. So one is going down the road, the next one comes to the place, the third one comes to where he was, the the unconscious guy. Now, as you're listening to stories, the way this is supposed to go is a priest, a Levite, and an Israelite. That's the sequence that everybody listening to this story would expect. So when Yeshua says a priest, a Levite, a Samaritan, that's jarring. Now, let me pop up a level for you. Remember I've said that this is also eschatological, which is to say, in addition to the homiletic, how do you treat your fellow man, this is also talking about Yeshua. And I am suggesting that the guy that is identified as the Samaritan is Yeshua himself. Notice that the priest goes by, the Levite goes to the place, but Yeshua comes to him where he is. So Yeshua does not depend on this guy being able to come to him. Yeshua sees him laying unconscious on the road, and Yeshua goes to where he is. Similarly, God, Yeshua, comes to us where we are. It's a standard preacher's line with which I agree that he comes to you. He doesn't wait for you to get cleaned up and come to him. So that I'm suggesting to you is sort of the first hint of what's going on here in this story. And by the way, what's the subject of the story? We are dealing with the question of eternal life. So what happens here is Yeshua sees this naked, unconscious, face-down man and goes to him. So I will suggest to you that could be a metaphor for us being dead in sin and trespass. So the next thing that happens is he binds him up, puts oil and wine on his wounds and so forth, and takes him to an end. And I'm going to pause there for a second, and we'll come back to that. Now, remember I said that there's an eschatological level to all of these stories. One of the things that we're going to see next couple of weeks is Yeshua is talking about the leaven of the Pharisees, right? And the deal there is the pharisaical class is hypocritical. And the thing about hypocrisy is that everybody has secrets. And a hypocrite presents himself one way and have secrets inside indicating he is really somebody else. And so what Yeshua says in that is when 
the Messiah returns, and that's in parentheses because it's not stated, that all of the secrets are going to be exposed. So there's an eschatological message there in addition to just condemning hypocrites. There's also, at some point, all of these secrets that you think are hidden are going to be exposed. Later on, you have the uh, master that goes off to a wedding. And his servants are there allegedly waiting for him. And a good set of servants will be taking care of each other, will be looking after the house and so forth. But a bad set of servants will say, my master has been delayed. Has our master been delayed? At least from our perspective, it's been 2,000 years. That's kind of a long delay. And I will suggest that there are lots of people who have fallen into inappropriate feasting, drinking, and abusing of their fellow servants. And what the Messiah says, and he's just talking about a master that's gone off to a wedding feast, and what he's really talking about is himself. And when I return, if I find my servants inappropriately feasting and abusing their fellow servants, I'm going to be really upset. So it's on two levels. The fig tree. The parable of the fig tree, which is also coming up in this travel narrative. And what it's saying there is, when I come back, I expect to see you bearing fruit. At the surface level, it's just that fig tree is not bearing fruit, and the gardener says, let me put some manure around it and, and see if it does. But if it doesn't bear fruit, it gets cut down. Then you have the parable of the guests at the wedding where a rich man prepares a great feast, has invited guests to the wedding and so forth, and when it comes time to the wedding, they all have excuses. What that says is, when I call you to the wedding, I expect you to show up, because I will return and I will call you to a wedding, and I expect you to show up. Okay? Prodigal son I've already talked about. Israel and Judah. Are you going to be brothers when I return. Because what's going to happen is I, the father, Yeshua, am going to welcome back the younger son who has been out in the world wasting all of his heritage. And when I come back, I'm going to welcome him back. Older brother, how are you going to behave? Lazarus and the rich man. That's predicting his resurrection. And then finally, the ten minas, which is parallel to the parable of the talents. It's ten minas in Luke, it's talents in Matthew. I have given you stuff to work with. I've given you resources. When I get back, I'm expecting a profit. I am expecting that you will have used the resources that I gave you for the benefit of my kingdom, and I'm going to require an accounting of the things I have given you, and I'm expecting a profit. Having said that, now let's get back into the Good Samaritan and let's see if we can see the eschatological message there. Now the homiletic message is really clear. Everybody is your brother. Because as I say, he set this up so you just have a generic human being. And how you treat him is, of course, the subject of the Torah. And the Torah explains how you treat him. And we said Yeshua is the Samaritan in this case. And by the way, Samaritan is really kind of a a neat choice. Because who are the Samaritans? They're half-breeds. Remember when the northern kingdom got taken out by the Assyrians, 
it was the policy of the Assyrian Empire to move other people in. In other words, take one population out, which means it separates them from their land and their heritage, makes them easier to control. They then move strangers in. And when the strangers came in, they said, okay, we're parked in a new land. Who are the gods here? How do we serve them? And they learned Torah from the Israelites, and they started practicing Torah. And by the way, they do to this day. There's still Samaritans there, and they still practice Torah, and the Jews still regard them as not Israelites. How does the Jewish power structure look at Yeshua? You're not really one of us. You're a troublemaker. we got problems. And we're eventually going to get you killed because you're not one of us. So the choice of the Samaritan here is it's really an interesting choice. So now let's go down to the end of the story. He's taken this unconscious guy and he's taken him to an inn. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. So what Yeshua is saying here is, I have given you resources, in this case, two denarii. And what I expect you to do with those resources is I expect you to take care of your brother, your neighbor. And furthermore, what I am promising you is when I come back, I will repay you for everything that you have laid out in support of your brother who needs it. So it's a homiletic thing, but it's also eschatological. And at both levels, Yeshua expects you to be doing stuff. There's stuff that you got to do. Now, not every one of us is going to find a naked guy unconscious in the middle of the road. I'm hoping that doesn't happen to many of us, although it could. But each of us, as we go through life, are going to find people who, in a sense, have been hit by a satanic truck and are laying naked in the middle of the road. God has given you resources to take care of such people. And what he does is he promises when he comes back, whatever you spend in doing that, he will repay. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an explanation of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.